Welcome to this week's episode of Nitty Gritty. We have a childhood hero on this week's episode, Odell Murphy. He's a lot of people's hero. Yes. Like it. Holy crap. Just obviously I followed Dale Murphy when I was a kid, but just reading back through, you so, know, we didn't talk about his humanitarian stuff, like all the uh-uh. the sport, like Sports Illustrated, sports, like his. So let me just read you some of what he's accomplished in the baseball world. So he was consecutive MVPs, 82, 83, youngest ever to do that right. in major leagues. He had won, what was it? Four Silver Slugger Awards, five gold gloves, seven all-star appearances, like this guy was, and the, that's just the he beginning. Is, he is the real deal. The thirty home runs and thirty stolen bases in a yeah. year—that's like a really rare thing to do. Yep. And this home, this guy's still not in the Hall of Fame. No, and not even close. Yeah. Like so, he had a chance in 2020. We should have talked about it, but I mean, got like eight votes. It's crazy. I I don't. It's I don't crazy. Understand it. Anyway, but such a such a nice guy. But then, yeah, like after he's played enduring, I mean, there's all sorts of other awards that he's won. Like right. he has this charity he's done his and then now he travels all over the place doing speaking and his wife does some coaching. But it was so fun to kind of sit back and just kind of reminisce and oh, here's have some of the jump behind into the, the scenes stories. stories. <laughs> well, and, you know, that was the thing. He was so kind of vanilla as a player. You know, he never. He talks about like his right. You know, it, it's cool to finally get him at this point of his life where he can just talk about regret. He talked about some regrets that he had. You know, some things that he wished he had done differently. Anyway, it's it's also relevant to just. It's cool to see very very successful mega stars, right? I mean, this in the baseball world, this is a very very well known name. Right? One of the biggest names in baseball. In baseball and. To hear of his like insecurities and struggles as a player, you yeah. just—it's cool to kind of humanize almost, I mean, that. How close he element. was to quitting? Yeah, and like the next year made an all-star team. Yeah, well, and switching positions and yeah. being humble enough to do it. And but there's so many, so many like stories that you can take and apply to business and life, marriage. See, and that's what I know. wanted to talk about in the beginning because you know, at least right now in the intro, because I don't want people that aren't into sports to not listen to this one. Yes. Because this one, he's just so wise, and a lot of what he talks about really Everything he talked about. Life. Like, every story, even his baseball stories, like, you're going to be able to take something out of it. There's a principle that you can apply somewhere, and I don't, I mean... Whether he's doing it intentionally or unintentionally, it is awesome. It was it was awesome. He was such a com- it was so easy to talk to him. You know, I I was definitely a little nervous in the beginning. Yeah, just because it's Dale Murphy. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, we loved it. So it was awesome. So check out the episode. Thank you always for supporting. I realized we haven't talked about Perk for a little while. No, we've been horrible at all that. So remember, and they have some awesome new products out. Yeah, so, our, with our code, you got to use our code. Yeah, use code Nitty Gritty, any perk product that you want. Yep. And, and spread the word. Leave us reviews. All that stuff helps so yeah. much. And we've been jumping. We've been seeing some. Well, yeah, like last week we were top 50 the whole week Wow. in the U.S. Like it was pretty crazy. So thank you guys so much for checking out. And 
we'd love to hear back from you and hope you guys enjoy this episode. We and sure we have did. a sex therapist coming up in a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned. <laughs> Major. <laughs> I'm so excited. I don't know why. It's going to be so interesting, but no. So Dale Murphy to uh, sex therapist. Well, the one in between, but we have some awesome guests coming up is what I'm trying to say. What Dale say, our niche is that we don't have a niche. Yep. That's what Dale said. We don't have a niche. So, And I think that's true. You never know what you're going to get from us. That's right. We're very mysterious. <laughs> Enjoy the episode. All right. Welcome to the Nitty Gritty. I don't know if you can hear the nervousness in my voice, <laughs> but boyhood hero. Oh, thank So this you. is pretty cool. You've come in to eat a few times. Oh, and yeah. I feel like I miss you all the time, but we are friends on Twitter. Uh, there you so go. So that was an exciting day for me, but the, the man, the myth, the legend, Dale Murphy, <laughs> It's great Thank to be here. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dale. You do great work. Congratulations on your podcast. It, I've had a podcast. Uh, I did one with Bill Riley for a couple months. It's really? not easy to keep it going. <laughs> so yeah. congratulations. Thank goodness for Andrew and Brent Thank on that. You. Yeah. Good work, I would, guys. I wouldn't be very consistent if it was just me. It, it's a challenge. To, it is. To, just to... Uh, to Stay stay in there every week, and uh, you've you guys have done a great job. So I'm honored to be a part of your podcast, well, Nitty Gritty. Thank you, thank you, man. He's even name dropping for us already. <laughs> You're good, and you showed up 30 minutes early. Well, it's the most punctual guest we've ever had. It's the first time I've and shown probably up the most famous. 30 minutes early to for anything, sure. <laughs> but but we did give him food, right? A little pregame meal. Uh, so kind of got stressed. Cam's like he's here. I'm like. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I told him the right time. Yeah. It's funny because normally I just come right out. But with the podcast, you almost don't want to talk too much before the podcast yeah. because then you end up talking about what you want to talk about on the podcast. Yeah. And so anyway, it was kind of funny. But no, we're so excited to have you. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm uh, the older I get. You know, it was interesting during my career, I was pretty reserved. I never, I wasn't a good quote, you know, <laughs> they'd come in after the game. Murph says the same old thing. Well, you know, we got to get him tomorrow, but the older I get, the more opinionated I get. So, <laughs> so what you're saying is we're going to have some fun. I, the more, I, well, I don't know. I guess <laughs> I was going to say Dale Murphy opinionated <laughs> is probably different. Nancy's than, probably really nervous right yeah. now. What are you going to say? And, it's kind of yeah. like when Dave Rose came on. He was like, yeah, "I'm not Dave coaching was, anymore. Let's do this." Yeah, let's he let do. it. He let it out. No, there is a different. There is a, is kind of a, you know, my personality. I, I like Corey. He's a Braves guy, but Chipper Jones. I've always, I've always enjoyed those guys that just let it fly. Right. And I'm like, how did how does Chipper say that stuff? Well, <laughs> you know, and uh, and there's other athletes like that. To, for for the betterment of their team, and sometimes not for you know. <laughs> Right. So anyway, I'm I'm a little more I'm a lot more opinionated, I guess. But maybe it's the social media and all this stuff. You know, there's just other outlets. But I think it is with my age. And when when I was playing, I was I was pretty reserved. It's just part of my personality. And uh, it what, was what, it was, was it intentional. Yeah, you, yeah. I I mean, I was just you know like if I had a good game, I I think there was just more of this a little bit of. Uh, I was a little worried sometimes. You, you know, I never wanted to give another pitcher, another team, any kind of bulletin. Uh, what do you, uh, Ammunition? Yeah, ammunition. <laughs> I just wanted to downplay it. You know, instead of saying, yeah, that guy had nothing tonight. You know, <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, 
That's why Tom Gl- Glavin didn't hit you that one time, right? <laughs> he, li- he liked you too much. Oh, well, I, that, that's one question that comes up about once a month on, <laughs> on social media. So it will be good to have another um, outlet to talk about the there Tom Glavin that's incident. A great, we'll, a great we'll get story. The, At least what I know of it. Yeah. It's a great story. It, it, we'll, get, we'll get back to that. But anyway, yeah, and it, and it is part of my personality, which I think has evolved since I've gotten older and not really right in the thick of things. I think there were times probably when the organ with the Atlanta Braves, the organization probably could have used a little um, uh, kick in the pants from a player that had been there a long time. But I also firmly believe that if I felt that, then I should go talk to the general manager personally. I shouldn't do it in an interview. You know what I mean? But I look back and say there are probably times when I could have been a little more opinionated that would have been helpful. I don't buy the athletes that say whatever they want to say and say, and people say, oh, what a great leader he is. I, I don't believe that. I believe if you're having a problem with a teammate, you got to go talk to the teammate. Right. I think what you do when, when you're a um, part of a ball club and you're doing interviews publicly about the problems of your team, you're really making it about you. Yeah. You, you go talk to the coach. You go talk to that person. And it's it's more effective. I just think people really resent taking uh, uh, the challenges you have with your your club uh, public like that. It's it's it, people don't receive criticism well in that space. Yeah, which is all too common today, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Especially in the most popular league right now, everything's over Twitter and Instagram, basketball. And, yeah, yeah, they all do it. Yeah, they no, they do, and it just always puzzled me because right. their leadership would would just be enhanced and respected and but when they call people out i i just i just and when they get praised for it i'm like that that's you know that is just not the way things you could be just that much more effective and really have the respect and maintain friendships as well yeah you know and that's what i think leaders do so even that i wish there were times when i was more vocal on the teams but i did try to help guys out and talk to them i mean but as far as public interviews, I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty <laughs> reserved. Well, and, but, uh, but you could also probably say that's why you were so loved and respected too. Well, and that's an interesting comment because, you know, I think I took that a little bit. I think I took it to the extreme is what I'm saying. You're right. I didn't say anything controversial. Right, right. <laughs> so, hey. so, hey, Murph's fine. But also there was probably times when I should have taken a stand. Can, I, you, I think just, of, can you think of anything specifically? Well, one, one situation where I did take a stand was, was women reporters in the locker room. Right. And uh, I, I, I don't know. It was just such a new thing for us in the 80s. We're all, I'm like, that had to be so awkward. It was. <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, and and I've, cha- I've obviously I've changed my position on that. I don't, I personally I don't think any reporters really need to be in our locker room for sure. So, but it is their space, and they get stories. And now women are there. There's women trainers. Um, so that I was a little vocal about that. I I don't think I was on the right side of history. I I should have been. Hey, I understand. Let's work out a solution. Right. Where everything you know. So at least let us get changed before you come in the locker yeah. room. And probably steroids. Uh, people ask me yeah. about steroids all the time. Why didn't you say anything? And so I was kind of a player at the time when, well, Jose Conseco, Conseco pretty much said mid-80s, 86, 87, 88 is kind of when they started with the Oakland Athletics. 
but it really wasn't widespread. But I retired in 93 and it started to really percolate. Right. And I'm not saying again, I'm not saying I should have said anything publicly like, hey, look at this guy. You know, it should have been, I wish I would have gone up to some players I really suspected and maybe I could have helped him and could have said, hey, it's not worth it. It, it. it really looks like you're doing, it's not, it's, it, yeah, it, you know, you don't need it. Um, you know, I'm really concerned about it, but it was a weird time. We, we were trying to feel our way around it. Were players talking in like, no. with each other about what was going on? No. And that's, you know, people are saying, well, did you see it? It's like, no. Cause if you talk, if you, you know, Jose Canseco, which is interestingly, he has a lot of credibility now <laughs> on the subject because he's one of he's one of the few guys you feel is being honest about it. Yeah, right. I mean, he says no. We injected each other in the bathroom stalls. It wasn't out in the open. Yeah, so it was just kind of there, and it, then it got really crazy. And and I wish maybe I'd gone to management and said, "You guys, you better crack down on this." And then it got away from us and hurt the right. sport. And everybody calls it now the steroid era. And it's, it hurt a lot of young people, it hurt the sport, the credibility of statistics, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so the, you asked me two examples where I wish I'd you know, been more vocal, and those are probably the two that, right. co- that come to mind. Interesting. Yeah, the whole steroid thing was – because, I mean, you're still kind of recovering from the whole well, strike, right? Oh, yeah. The, and missing fans World's, weren't all the yeah. way back. Sucked everybody in, like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Yeah, all the home runs. Then the news, then the news hits, and it's almost like you go, you're back to square one, or maybe even further back than you were before the strike. When was the strike? Ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah, I retired in ninety three, and and then, yeah, they canceled the World Series in ninety four. I mean, you look back and you're like, wow, did that really happen? So. It's crazy. I do remember like the summer with like Sosa and McGuire. Oh, yeah. And Ball. We were all, I was watching. Everyone I mean, was I was watching. Everybody was. Yeah. yeah. But we were kind of buried our heads in the sand and just kind of, you know, tur- turned, uh, you know, a blind eye to a percolating problem. And uh, so a comment I always hear, it's like they did it, but they were the only ones who got caught. Do you think it was more widespread than what's come out? Yeah, it's more widespread, but probably not the predictions of what some people said. I think Ken Caminiti said 75% of the guys, you know, yeah. at, at one time. I, I don't think it was that high. But, yeah. But it was probably, yes, more widespread. I mean, we still have issues occasionally, but now with better testing and and everything, uh, uh, we still catch guys. But the the real challenge is it, it's helpful. Um, and there's a financial incentive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we all, you know, a couple of documentaries, uh, bigger, stronger, faster goes into the, the, the challenge of the human makeup and competition. And why do we do this stuff? Right. And you hear these stories, uh, what was it? 80, 80% of people would cut off 10 years of their life if they knew they could win a gold medal. I mean, they wouldn't, they yeah. don't, we don't care. So what kind of argument do you use for young people? You know, if if we're all human beings, we love the competition and the financial incentive. Right. And you know what I like to say is is you got to do your best at this time right now to to see the big picture. You you um, you, it's hard to see it right now, but trust it from some trust trust me from someone who's been there. You want to do things the right way. Right. If it lasts 20 years, if you only get a shot for a year, you want your legacy to be, I did it the right way. 
Because even if you look at the one guys that have come out and honestly said they they've done it, people don't respect their achievements. Yeah. Or oh, their legacy. For sure. The legacy. They're, they're the legacy. It, it's it takes just, a lifetime to build, and just like that, it can be gone. Right. And and so that's a real hard thing to tell young people. Right? Yeah. But that's the argument because it's like saying, oh, well, this stuff doesn't work. Well, it does work. Yeah. Guys are still using them. But also, young people now, every sport is testing a lot better, a lot more. You know, um, you need your self-respect and respect of others. But it's still a temptation out there. But baseball is doing a lot better, yeah. thankfully. So, Dale, I want to kind of learn a little bit more about you growing up. Because I know, I mean, high school, all state, you got drafted fifth overall out of high school. When did you first, like, pick up baseball? Like, like when, did, when did the love start? And did you do multiple sports? Or were you always, like laser focused on baseball yeah i you know i grew up in the the generation born in 56 so you know my era was 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 not a uh a a generation that concentrated on a sport it just those kind of things didn't exist i didn't play my first baseball game till i was eight which is four years late exactly (laughs) now exactly (laughs) you know so there's pros and cons to that, but I was pretty typical for a kid growing up in the '60s, Portland, Oregon. I mean, I actually took wrestling at the the YMCA. I remember that. I came home and I learned all these things about wrestling, how to pin people, and I tried to demonstrate it on my sister Susan, <laughs> and she put me in a headlock and pinned me. Uh, so I said, "I'm not going to be a wrestler. <laughs> Let me see what else I did." We were doing all kinds of things, but I played. Pop Warner football, played some football. I played freshman year in high school. Uh, so, But I did kind of recognize, actually, that football is not going to really work out for me. So I, I did concentrate in high school on basketball and baseball. Okay. But as a baseball player, since they, they draft high school players, you know that scouts are watching you. Unlike you go to a, right. a, your basketball game, you, you don't have professional scouts watching you. You may have a coach from a college right. to offer you a scholarship. But – it's it's a strange feeling um, sometimes to say, man, I got professional scouts watching my high school games. Uh, so I nerve wracking. Yeah, it 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 at that it age. Was. Yeah, it, it was, and it can be. When, when did it start to happen? Like so, uh, probably my sophomore year in high school, really? because I had a really good arm, and scouts were of course watching other players. I was still two years away about from being draftable, but people were talking about, look at this kid throw. Look at this this kid. You got to watch this Murphy kid, and so probably and then junior year I I didn't catch because I had a knee problem. Played first, but I was starting to hit. And then my senior year I was back to catching, and we had a really good program in Portland, Oregon. Jack Dunn was our coach, Hall of Fame, high school and college Hall of Fame, uh, both. Um, and so I didn't pitch. We're usually a guy with the best arm pitches a lot right. but we had enough uh in a, in a good enough program enough pitchers that he kept me behind the plate so my arm was never tired i was i was firing the ball and i was tall real skinny i could hit a little bit but i was drafted you know because i was a catcher and uh and tall catcher yeah i was man yeah and that's a comment that comes up all the time and especially for that generation right because <laughs> right uh and so, you know, I was drafted as a catcher in that in 74. So, yeah. Uh, in those days, you had no idea, really, no information. 
you know, uh, now kids know everything. Or scouting websites. Yeah, and you know lists. everything. Twitter. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sitting there with my mom and dad. We're sitting there and go, well, I guess I might be drafted today. <laughs> Waiting for the phone to ring. And I thought it would be the Phillies. They flew me back for a pre-draft workout. Right. The only pre-draft workout I had. Because you got about a two or three weeks before uh, school ends. And so I was like, oh, the Phillies. And so got a call. This is so-and-so from the Atlanta Braves. We drafted you. I was like, wow. You know, we'll, send, we'll, we'll have a scout come out there. You guys negotiate. And me and my dad put the the screws to the <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing <laughs> we didn't know you don't know what anybody signed for the year before right you don't know what you don't have no information well yeah so uh right i signed for 50 a little over fifty thousand dollars. Fifth guy picked in the draft i was going to wow. go to arizona state and play ball there and i signed and and uh so just straight to the minors is that yeah yeah um it, it, Especially then, but, um, you know, I played combined four years of minor league baseball because the, the, the kids nowadays go a little bit higher. They could go to double A or they could go to single A right. because they started when they were four years old and that played right. travel ball. And I needed every year of that apprenticeship in the minor league. So sometimes people are surprised. I was like, no, I, and I played a year of winter ball in the Dominican Republic and two years of instructional league in Florida during the off season. So I, that's when you started playing ball. That's when you learned how to be a pro. Yeah. And these guys really are kind of semi pros with these travel teams. For sure. They are so mature. Their swings are so much better. They're so much better athletes than we were. And they're so ready to go to the big leagues. It's astonishing to me how good these young players are. And the Atlanta Braves have some of the best, but they're amazing now, and I'm, every sport's kind of like that. It's true. We talk about it all the time in here how we can't stand what youth sports is turning into. You know, we all Some grew problems, up with yeah. being able to play, you know, a different sport every season. And I think it's important to be able to really find the one that you love to play. And and I do feel like a lot of the parents in these like travel because hockey's the same way. Like if you want to get well, better in hockey, there's no city leagues. It's like yeah, you got to jump right to a travel team. And it is. I mean, some of the parents want it worse than the kids do. That's a challenge. And yes. it's, it's nuts, but. Well, I've had, you know, one of the problems with baseball is it's expensive. And right. people said, do you know anybody that plays travel hockey? Oh, my <laughs> you, God. You think, you think baseball is expensive. It is crazy. How expensive. But it's a challenge because it does. Um, and uh, baseball has been trying to address this bit because it becomes a socioeconomic problem. Um, for access, and it should be so play. much more accessible. Considering yes. that you need a mitt, some cleats, and a bat. You know yeah. what I mean. And it's and you so, don't need the full, you know, hockey. I mean, you grow out a, a kid needs new skates every year. I mean, the hockey sticks are three hundred bucks now. Yeah, I mean, you got to have two of them at all hockey times. Sticks are, yeah, it's crazy. So it's a challenge in baseball. They're trying to figure out what to do because yeah. you, you don't want it to be. And we have very few um, African American players uh, that are involved in baseball as a result of of a lot of challenges. But that's one yeah. of them. That's yeah, one. just this, the economic part. I mean, the that's economic, yeah, that's really interesting. I've never really thought about that because you know, Major League Baseball needs all the help it can get right now. And yeah, I mean, you were talking about big picture earlier. I mean, that seems like a no-brainer because, you know, 
I think everybody played baseball. Like I played baseball up until high school, and I loved it. But I've put my son in a couple leagues, and it's like the whole part. It, you're either like partici- participation trophy, like spray-painted bases. Yeah. Just everybody gets to bat, and then you go out to the field. No three outs, no keeping score. Or <laughs> you're like <laughs> yeah. hardcore travel club, yeah. and you're paying five grand a year. Good point. And it's like, man, what happened to just – your good local little league. That, so it's kind of what's happened with every single sport, it, it, right? And you're right. No, you're it right. Totally it's a real has. challenge. And what you want to create, and what you want to create with those opportunities is not necessarily future baseball players. Right. You want to create fans. Absolutely. You want to Such create good people point. that love the game of baseball because they had a good experience. Right. And so, and and no uh, one's ever said it that way. And that's such that's a, a really good, good point. point. Well, because you you love hockey and you, you right. uh, excelled at it. But now you're a great fan, right? I mean, you, totally. And you know, you, I wish you, I was a bigger fan of baseball. I grew up really loving baseball. I grew up following the Dodgers. Like it's, yeah. But I can't watch a game. I, no, I don't know what it issues. is. Well, I, I just can't unless it's playoffs. I I do yeah. love the playoffs. Playoff baseball, like a lot of sports, is a little more entertaining. But they got right. some other issues. It's a. Yeah. It, it, well, where do yeah. we start? <laughs> well, part part of it is the length of the game, right? Uh, I mean, let's be honest. Who sits in front of – well, football game, let's say it lasts four hours. You're never sitting there in front of of, of four hours of football, you, you know, the commercial and right. – you know, but, but baseball's – the pace of the game is, is, um, is hard to market. Uh, it is a tough game to learn as a young person. A lot of people give up because, you know, the hand-eye coordination, the whole rules, the whole – it's a, it's a, but, but we need to make it more accessible for right. the future fans. And we've, as we talked about earlier, we've lost fans at the major league level four years in a row. Yeah. And so what's going on? Well, there's a number of things. The game is long. It's, it, it, it can be marketed better. We have high definition screens that make going to the ballpark on every sport, <laughs> every sport, less attractive A right. football game there. I'm sorry, but there is no better seat. I don't think. Oh, one hundred percent. Your living room, except for the excitement of being there. But right. you, you know, uh, you're sitting there during the commercials of a football game <laughs> instead of going to the refrigerator. So right. high definition TVs. I mean, it really is. T- and and ticket the prices. Ticket prices. You know, I I saw something online once said all Major League Baseball do is needs to do is lower the price of tickets. And I thought, well, that's kind of a simplistic answer, but. That's the problem. <laughs> it is it's too expensive. Yep. Baseball used to pride itself, and it probably still is one of the cheaper ways to go to watch a professional sport. But it's still too expensive. The yeah. economy is not rolling like right. everybody thinks it is. And when you add up the cost of the ticket, which is you can get into a baseball game relatively cheaply, but you can't park cheaply. You can't eat everything, and there's a time commitment too. And if we're averaging three hours a game. People are going to say, "I'll tune in at home." Yeah, for and sure. so we or got, just we watch Sports Center, like just watch the well. There's and there's uh, and turn on your phone. I mean, right. I have the Major League app. I I check out highlights. It's right. a, they got some things. If you want people in the ballpark, that we need to do differently. See, and, That's, I, and I would argue there's there's two sports that are just so much more enjoyable live that baseball and hockey. Yeah, it's funny because. Unless it's playoffs, I even struggle watching hockey sometimes. But whether you're a fan or not, that is still an experience. 
And so I would think that getting butts and seats would be a huge priority just because of that, keeping people interested in the game. Because you go, and then there probably is a residual You're 10 exactly. to 15 games watching on TV and interacting I with see, the website. I see upper decks empty in base, Major League Baseball. I'm like, why are those seats empty? Those should just be you freebies. You would be creating fans. Yep. It would be worth giving them away, 10000 a night, because now with data, you, you know which teams – you got available tickets for sure. Go give those things away, and they just those things like that. But but you're right. I I have to say I I went to a playoff hockey game. Oh man, the Chicago Blackhawks. That's, that's my team. In there you go. In the in the 80s. Right. So wow. was that at the old Chicago yeah, old Chicago Stadium? I mean, I was in awe. Literally, I someone got some tickets. We were in, how cool. And I was, I mean, I get goosebumps right now feeling the energy and the. It, to say something about a game in person is different. Hockey is the perfect example, and I might say soccer too. Oh, for sure. I, I I'm a I'm I'm converted to this professional soccer. I right. went to one of the Atlanta games. Oh, I love it. And I was down on the field. Long story, but bottom line, I was looking around. First of all, you know how Atlanta draws really oh, well yeah. with their hockey team. It was before they got into uh, Mercedes-Benz Field where the Falcons play. It was right. a Georgia Tech, so it holds 25,000 or 30, whatever. And the thing was packed, and people were on their feet the whole time cheering. And I was like, there's no energy like this at a baseball game, which is understandable. Baseball's different. Right. But there are some attractive things about baseball, and one of them is the pace of the game. It right. really is fun to sit there on a nice summer night watching guys that are the best – in their craft and time to kind of absorb what's going on, right. which some sports it's, it's hard to follow, but we got some issues and I think they're trying and you know, so they're trying, but I, I have some differences of opinion and I'll just tell you one. I think and a lot of players say this, but marketing the game has, it's got to be much more creative and right. much more. I, I have some friends I played high school baseball with did not know who Mike Trout played for. And these guys, follow the game they're baseball players in high school they were like mike trout they go yeah i've heard of him but holy crap so i'm like <laughs> everybody should know who mike trout is who he plays for it's got to be that's it, a great point it, it costs a lot of money it costs a lot of money and 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 they go well mike trout's personality is kind of quiet kind of like mine was right I, I go mike trout will do uh, pick a charity Right. Let's say he works for cystic. He's his charity is cystic fibrosis, which I was thankful to be associated with during my career. You go to Mike Trout and say, "Mike, we're going to donate a million dollars to cystic fibrosis. We want you to do this commercial. You're going to have to step out of your comfort zone and, <laughs> and brag about yourself or do something creative." Right? He'd do it in a minute. Uh, oh, no doubt. You know, first of all, money doesn't drive him so much as, you know, being able to help people and then help the game. But you, you've got to think way outside the box. And I know they're doing some things, but Mike Trout should be much more embedded in the consciousness of the people of the United say, States. He should be right up there with LeBron. Yeah. You know, like even basketball fans know who LeBron is and where he's playing. Like, it, well, people that aren't basketball fans. Right. Know who he is, who he plays and for. And there's a number of guys, but it would take Major League Baseball to spend the money. A lot of people say, well, you, you know, um, why doesn't Coke, you know, no, Major League Baseball, you spend the money right, on promoting your guys. You pay that guy, 
you know, whoever he plays for, Cleveland uh, Indians or Pittsburgh Pirates, you got to come up with the money because these guys make so much money now, a commercial doesn't. Right. Right. Yeah, I got a story about that. Let's hear it. Giancarlo Stanton. I was with, I can't remember who I was with. It'll come to me some while we talk. But I was doing something, you know, um, retired guys get asked to make appearances and I said, you know, what are you doing now? He goes, oh, I'm doing some things for the Marlins. Occasionally, I live in Miami. He goes, last week, I did something for the Marlins. They called me up. He's a retired player. And they said, hey, Stanton doesn't want to do this, Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, Will you fill in for him? He goes, yeah, what do you got to do? He goes, you got to get up and get introduced, say a couple things about, you know, shake some hands, take some pictures, probably be there 45 minutes. They'll pay you 25 grand. Jeez. (laughs) And it just didn't mean anything to Giancarlo Stanton because who knows what he was making, $20 million. You know what I mean? So For sure. So if if you're going to ask Stanton or these guys are making so much money, in the old days I would have done a commercial just like that. Right. Uh, not that we weren't making good money from back then, but the point is the financial incentive to market your team costs a lot of money right. to market your sport, and baseball should come up with it. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, that's a yeah. So marketing is a challenge too, but baseball is kind of tricky to market too. So I'd I'd read a story about you, and it was kind of funny. I want to see how how accurate it was. But they were talking about when you learn when you learned how to throw. They said your dad was out trying to teach you how to throw, and you came in and you were watching Ted Williams on TV. And you're like, Dad, is that how I do it? And like, you walk out, and like, your dad had spent like hours like teaching yeah. you some of the fundamentals of throwing. Yeah. And you watch Ted throw one ball, and you go like that, Dad. And he's like, Yeah. And you walked out and did it like perfect. He was like, Visual learner. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hard game to teach, you know. And with one game a week, especially. Right. But yeah, I did learn a lot about my hitting stance and things from from game of the week, and. You know, my dad was a, a good athlete, loved to golf, did a few things in high school and college. And uh, he, he, one thing he did too is I, I learned to enjoy catching uh, little plastic golf wiffle balls. He'd hit with his uh, in the backyard, and I'd catch them with my glove. <laughs> and so he's uh, out chipping. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, so my mom and dad were 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 great. My mom is still living in the Portland area, out in Hillsboro. They were great, always giving me a chance to play. Never felt any pressure about playing or my performance or anything. So, yeah, Ted Williams. I should have. I should have watched him hitting. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I think what a hitter on with the with the, with the baseball bat. Yeah, well, um, and nothing like Ted. Yeah, something else I was reading because in high school you got baptized into the church, right? Well, uh, a little, little, not quite. Okay, no. I was drafted in 1974, and then I was baptized in 1975 while I was okay. playing minor league baseball. Gotcha. Yeah, and so and that's crazy. So I went to a church in minor league baseball in Greenwood, South Carolina. Like minor league baseball, I just imagine is like a pretty Bull Durham. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? It's just this crazy. Yeah. Well, it is. Wow. It is crazy. But I had a, a great friend and teammate, Barry Bonnell, who was a recent convert uh, to the. Uh, a church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and shared with me his testimony in the Book of Mormon. And so that was, yeah, in South Carolina, there was a little branch there. And wow. so I was 19. That's cool. It was a great experience. Um, the story, it talked about how the owner of the Braves, was it Ted Turner? Yeah, so, <laughs> y- yes, I know what you're going <laughs> to talk about now because 
So President uh, Spencer W. Kimball was president of the church and prophet, and he was putting out the call to go on a missions. Yeah. And uh, and I was a recent convert. I'm like, that's what I want to do. You know, I'm, I'm going to quit baseball and go on a mission. <laughs> oh my well, gosh, uh, my parents. Football feels like every year <laughs> yeah, for yeah. me. It's like, please don't, don't go. Don't go. <laughs> <laughs> and so. I had I did some serious soul searching and praying and considering to the point where I told my parents I was seriously considering it, and I told the Braves, and <laughs> it didn't go over well with Ted Turner. Well, <laughs> the story says that, like you hadn't even like signed your contract yet. Oh, the Predators just scored. Sorry, oh. <laughs> I forgot to turn that it. off. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That I forgot is, I just put batteries in it this morning. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, Dale. So who scored? Embarrassing. Predators. Predators. I have the Predators and the Blackhawks set up, so every time they score, they, it goes off. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'll Ted, go turn it off. Ted was unconventional, to say the least. Yeah. And he was really uninhibited. And so I, was, I wasn't even on the, in the major leagues. I was a... Yeah. But I was the top prospect. For sure. And the word got back to him. He called me up. <laughs> and he said, Murph, if you go, I, I don't know what you read, but there was a quote floating around there. He said, hey, that's fine with me, but I just want you, seriously, this is what he said. Oh, yeah, you'd be great, but I just want you to know I'm going to kill myself. And, oh. <laughs> And I'm going to kill my family, and then you can serve on your mission with that blood on your hands. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not kidding. Gosh. Oh, that was And I'm you a were 19, 19 years I'm old. A 19 years, probably the next year, but I was a member oh. of the church for about a year. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this guy is so scary. <laughs> Ted, he's my owner, you know. But I decided, uh, I talked to a lot of people, and like I said, prayed about it a lot. and. Decided to keep playing. and Yeah. Well, because the next year you, you went on to win Rookie of the Year, right? In the International League? Did I really? Because <laughs> <laughs> when you said Rookie of the Year, I was like, I didn't win any Rookies of the Year, but I might have won it in uh, in the International League, AAA. What, what year does it say? 77? Yeah. <laughs> That's when you know you're a really good baseball player. When you can't remember, remember player of the year awards. Ago that was. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I did. Right. I had a good year in 77 in AAA, so I was just on the verge. And then 78 was my first year in Atlanta. Full, okay. cool. full time. What was what was the hardest adjustment like going from AAA minors to playing Major in the League. majors? A uh, number of things. It, there's there's things, and you got to be careful with saying it. It's there's easier things in the major leagues. Number one is back then, every major league stadium was lit really well. Well, in the minor leagues, you, back then you didn't. Not every minor league ballpark was lit as well. Right. Uh, just the lights, um, so you could see the ball. You know what I mean. But of course, you had better pitchers. But the other advantage, so to speak, is that you were facing pitchers that had experience and they had better control. A, a good pitcher realizes that he's, he's got a force. In the minor leagues, you're facing guys that aren't ready for the major leagues. <laughs> and so they don't have – it's just harder to hit. But it also is harder to hit a major league pitcher because he has control. My point is it's kind of a paradox there. You're going to get pitches to hit. They're going to be a little tougher to hit, but you're going to get pitches to hit. So I would say uh, the 
So there's things that are just slightly easier. But what happens is you get to the major leagues, all of a sudden that ball you hit in the gap, there was a double in AAA, a major league center fielder goes over and gets it faster. I was going to say the fielding has yeah. to be. The speed and of the I, game. Wouldn't you just say in every sport it's the speed? 100%. You get down on the floor of any sport right now at right. the major league level, it's fast. Yeah. So that, I think that's just keeping up. Keeping uh, adjusting to the speed of the defense, we didn't have as many hard throwers as the game does now. But occasionally, you you know you'd face guys that you know ninety five plus, and that that's fairly common now. So uh, pitching and defense, okay, and then just the level of competition day in and day out. Because when you think about it, it in the minor leagues, you're facing a prospect, and then you're facing two guys that aren't going to make it. And then you may face another club. You got three games with them. You're facing a prospect and two guys that probably aren't going to make it. Right. So you, but in the major leagues, there's no break. I mean, everybody's the best at what they're everybody doing. Everybody yeah. is the best. Obviously, right. you're going to have a fourth starter is not sure. quite your ace, but he's pretty good. He's in the big leagues. Right. Well, I imagine travel plays into that too. Miners, you're bussing, right? Yeah, in the minor leagues, that's another thing that people say. Well, you're traveling all the time. Yeah, but you're chartering. Yeah, you can sleep on a plane. You know, we had it, so, but it is. It's a. It's a obviously 162 games. So that's an just, that's an interesting thing that there are things I've never really heard somebody say that it could be easier. And I guess they're yeah. all the pros, but I get that. I mean, why a well, more comfortable, say, better lighting makes it harder. Let's say in right. hockey, maybe you get more passes where they should be. To- no, you, totally you know what right. I mean. It's like on your stick. Is that? Right. <laughs> right, but you also got a guy. You. you got a guy in front of you that wasn't there in minor league hockey, and or that's something. Totally right. Or right. say goalies, they'll they'll close on you a lot faster. Yeah, all that kind of stuff, and right. uh, everything is just what might have been a base hit in AAA. It's not getting out of the infield yeah, yeah, and major. Yeah, which, there's there's, and yeah. they have more. This is more even back then. They have more data on you, so they know where to play you, right. because AAA, you don't play each other as often. You you, right. you know what I mean? See, I wanted to ask you about that. What what was your reaction when they? Because you started as a, I mean, you pitched, caught, started as a, you were drafted as a catcher. So that day when they asked you to move to outfield, how did that go? Well, you, catcher is like to me the manliest position in baseball. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's where the fun is. Like I I, I caught a lot in baseball. I loved it. But were you a goalie? No, in, in, it's funny. Goalies are like ninjas. You have to do the splits. Yeah, and like I was a defenseman, but because that's kind of I would imagine the crossover with catching and being a goalie. Well, and it's true. To a certain extent. It's just, but to me, it's one of those. It's the it's a physical position. Yeah, right? it, it it is. I mean, you're getting yeah. bumped into. You're getting hit at the a lot plate. Of like, little little just, injuries. It, I mean, foul tips off throwing, your fingers. Right, throwing out somebody stealing. Well, second i mean all that stuff it's uh, it's such a cool position so collisions at home plate which are see, not happening now which is ridiculous an <laughs> which is an interesting transition but let, let me tell you uh, uh, i'd like to share the story i you know i i love to speak now and now i'm doing zoom of course zoom keynotes i guess you could call them or zoom drop-ins but i i love give, give the one thing that's that hasn't been happening a lot since COVID is just my public speaking. But one of my themes of my public speaking is resilience. And a lot of people don't understand how, like you said earlier, everybody kind of thinks it went in a straight line. You signed and you went to the big leagues in four years. Well, I was drafted as a catcher and I learned resilience in a couple ways. Hitting 
takes a re- really resilient person and mind to, to be in there day in and day out and hit a baseball. Right. But my career in general, I, I learned a, a great thing about resilience because I was drafted as a catcher. And uh, the best way to describe it is about 76 or 77, I was still catching. Player of the year. It, it is a rookie. I, I got to put that in my bio. <laughs> How did I forget that? Uh, it's probably because rookie of the year in AAA doesn't, doesn't help a lot in uh, your negotiation. Um, but I developed the yips. It's the best way to put it. Right. Uh, all sports have them. Uh, I'm not sure what it is in hockey, but in basketball, it's the free throw. So, you know, you just can't get the free throw down. Baseball is throwing. Happens to a lot of catchers. It happens to a lot of pitchers. Golf, Charles Barkley. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Charles. I don't know if Yips covers that. Yeah, but <laughs> but putting. Let's, let's right, take right. – there's a, a psychological thing, and I started not being able to throw very well, very accurately. Right. Just everywhere, like to second or at first. At first, it was literally back to the pitcher, and this wow. is not unusual for it, 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 it. There's just something that, and you know, you're like, <laughs> but then then I've you made could, this throw how many thousands of times, and it just yeah. Can't then get all it. it I got without thinking the about best it. the best way yeah, best way to say it is I I got the, but eventually I got back to the pitcher. Yeah. Okay, my throwing to the second base was a little rough. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, what, you know, what's going on with Murph? Um, and I'll just share one story. I was in AAA catching, probably 77, which <laughs> this is probably why I can't believe I won Rookie of the Year in the International League in 77. Because we were in the season a couple of weeks, and I got Al Autry, about 6'6", pitching. And I'm back there catching, guy on first. He goes, everybody says he goes, and I get that ball, and I'm firing it, you know, to second base. And, you know, big, you pitcher, you – you, you you bend down, you get out of the way, right. but Al's so big, he just you just bend down. You just stay on your knees. And I hit Al <laughs> Autry, my starting pitcher, in the hip. Oh, no. And so people said, Murph, if you're going to throw it away, just make sure you throw it as hard as you can. That's the best way to get rid of this thing. So I come out firing, and, and I throw a bullet right into my starting pitcher's hip and he stayed down. And my point is that was the point where I wanted to quit. Oh man. I am not going to get out of this problem. How am I going to get out of this? It was, and some guys do, some guys have had success getting it and I got better. But at that point I was like, first of all, as a catcher, you know, when your pitcher gets injured, you go out there and check on him. Right. I'm like, I'm not going out there. <laughs> I know exactly what happened, although he doesn't know what happened. He's like, what What happened? So they take him out of the game, and I really wanted to quit at that time. Uh, of course, I can't. What are you going to do? You're going to walk off the field. That's kind of, you know, maybe I'll get hurt My, because this is embarrassing, humiliating. Every, it, it, you know, I, I've often said that I don't think I would have been able to handle so my career on social media, um, I was relative. It was relatively anonymous, except for the Braves and the twenty five hundred people at Parker Field in Richmond, Virginia. Right. You know, and my team. That's an interesting point. But, I mean, the, and what you mean by that is reading what people are saying about me on Twitter when I had a bad game. Oh I don't my, think I could handle I, that. I really don't think I could. I was not made for this generation. Yeah. So I wanted to quit. 
And I remember a few games in 77, they put me at first base. I got better, but sure. never major league caliber. In 78, I moved to first base in Atlanta. 79, I was a catcher first baseman. I got hurt. But I still, my, my hitting started to get better. So my point of resilience was I, I wanted to quit, but I decided to just see what it would happen the next day. Well, that's crazy. I mean, even and, late as 79. Right. I was catching in the major leagues. I think I got about 100 games as a catcher in the major leagues, but I also had a bunch at first base. But my throwing was still not was not going to be good enough to maintain a position in the big leagues as a catcher or a first baseman. I think I led the league in errors in 78 at first. Wow. <laughs> wow. And so I'm like, but the I hung in there and just kept showing up and my hitting started to come around. And that's what I say about resilience is just kind of <laughs> keep showing up. Something's going to emerge. It, maybe, maybe I would have ended up quitting, which, you know, sometimes you go a different direction in your life. But I stayed with that sport and – People said, we're going to find something for you because your hitting is coming around. And that's in the, the winter of 79. Nancy and I got married here in October of 79. And I got a phone call from Bobby Cox about a month after we got married. We were living in an apartment here in Provo. Uh, what do you think about the outfield, Murph? And I was like, well, do I have a choice? <laughs> He's kind of like, not really. So, So in other words, a lot of people say, well, Why'd you, you know, how'd you handle that? I was like, very thankful because I, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. You know, you get out there, the process, fresh start. Uh, fresh start, different position. The throws are not, you don't have to have pinpoint accuracy like you do in the infield. And I'm so grateful and, and I'm thankful I didn't quit. I really wanted to, but that's wild to think two years later, those who don't know in 82, you won the MVP. Well, in 80, I went to the All-Star game. Yeah. The first year in the outfield, I made the All-Star team. I was like, what the heck happened? I mean, talk about- Yeah, and then 82, I won my first MVP. And it was just because Bobby, who was my manager then, Bobby Cox, and the Braves said, let's get him to the outfield. And There are so they, many cool things on that. Having a coach who believed in you enough to keep absolutely. giving you chances. And I was not the only guy in Bobby's career that he gave chances to. Yeah. yeah that's what he was known for. Like, that's so cool. I mean, we've had other stories where people have had, you know, a business leader, you know, express confidence in them that all of a sudden they, you know, they filled this different role that they never thought they were going to be able to fill. And it's because someone kind of gave them the confidence to do that. Yeah. Uh, Bobby did that. In 83, I ended up hitting 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases. The 30-30 thing, which right. was is still kind of unique. Um, and the reason why I stole 30 bases is Joe Torrey was our manager then. He goes, Murph, I think you could steal more bases. I think you're a base stealer. And I was like, I had never thought of myself that in that yeah. I was a big guy that could run. But now he goes, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the green light. You don't ever have to get a steal sign. You just go when you think you could go. You'd be a better base stealer at that time because, and all of a sudden I'd get out there every opportunity. What's the score of the game? What's the inning? Who's this pitcher? I think, you know, depending on all that stuff, I'm going to try and steal. I ended up stealing 30 bases. <laughs> but it's because Joe gave me kind of the permission right. and the trust in me. He said, now, if we're behind 10 nothing in the eighth inning and you try to steal second, I, I'm going to take that green light 
away from me <laughs> because what you're sh- so I trust you. You're going to show me that you're deserving of that trust. You're going to pick your spots, and so it just turned it, it to take your to um to say what you just said. In in my circumstance, a coach said you can do this, and I I'm thankful. So Joe got me running a little bit more. So I ended up with some stolen bases for a few years, but that, it's exactly because he said you, you don't need you don't need a sign anymore. Your instincts are better than getting well, a sign. And so, what if you wouldn't have been open to it, right? Because I think a lot of us are like, oh, oh that's, yeah, that's not a natural skill of mine. No, I'm not going to move to the outfield. No, I'm not going to try to steal that base. And so we kind of or pride even block. Yeah, yeah, a lot of you know, or exactly, and, and we retreat from that. Or you know, I'm going to quit. I'm going to walk away but you kept showing up, other people stepped in, and then look what happened. Like those next couple of years, yeah, I fell MVP, into my own, yeah. MVP, gold glove, slugger, also, I mean, everything you could possibly win, you did. Well, thank Which you. And, and it's crazy. interesting because the the older you get, the more people you look at and see who were involved right. in getting you there. One of my favorite quotes I just heard was, the bigger the dream, the more important the team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You and your dang quotes. That's a great one. <laughs> Man. And I have to lot. say, Nancy, of course, is the MVP of the Murphy family. All this time, we, were, we have eight children. Um, 1980, Chad was born, and the year I retired was when Madison was born. So all during this time, she's raising a family, putting up with me doing oh, going over four and three Ks, sometimes four strikeouts. <laughs> uh, so it's not only on the field, but it's family and you know your whole life. I have so many people to be grateful for. Nancy's, you know, uh, the 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 one person in my life that has been a constant, and I'm so grateful for her for being there for me and our kids. I mean. It's 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 remarkable when I look back and how how many people have helped me. Well, I think it's interesting to hear people forget that pro athletes are just like us. They're just people. better at sports than we are. Yeah, but uh, I mean, as far as the whole, yeah, I think a lot of people think, you know, yeah. how do you coach people? Like they're already so good, blah 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 blah. But they have the same insecurities and. Probably and even more so, maybe <laughs> right. Like I, yeah, you're right because I feel like a lot of really talented pro athletes are. You know, I kept thinking to myself as you were talking about you know hitting your pitcher. Yeah, you still went to the pros. You were probably a lot better at throwing than you thought. <laughs> like it, when you're good at something, you're just a lot harder on yourself. Oh yeah, that's right. A good point. Yeah, and it's. I mean, I do it. Well, yeah, here he with food. The year that he forgot about it, that, right. The year he hit his pitcher. <laughs> right. And I mean, to get to the point where you wanted to quit, but the next year you were called up to the major. So it's like, well, I don't think hitting that pitcher hurt you too bad. Right. And, and it's, but it's interesting to hear that point of view from. I mean, one of the greatest baseball players to ever do oh, it had self doubt and. Man, I was sucking. I don't know what I was doing. I wanted to quit. And it just goes to show that Absolutely. maybe next time you're on Twitter making fun of a pro, yeah, like, hey, they might be seeing that. And it's it's hard enough. The pressure's high enough. College kids is really what we should be talking about. Oh, when I see people rip a, a college kid oh, on Twitter, it's great. Oh, I just want to reach the phone and strangle them. It yeah. is, it is that what they're doing is so hard. They're not getting paid to do it. I mean, that might happen soon, but. 
Let's hope. I mean, they're a kid. No, they're kids. It, it's crazy. you're right, it, and and I think that's another thing. I wasn't made for this era. I don't. Th- I don't think I could have taken that. These kids grow up with social media, but still, it's a. It's hard to take criticism, and now with social media, it's just so instantaneous. Uh, the criticism, but I was going to say, oh, yes. Um, I believe you're talking about times of self-doubt and if you can really make it, I really think in the end that it is a real, uh, valuable time because you can get through it 100%. and then, you know, it's, it's okay. If you're having a time where you don't really know what you're doing and things are not good, you're, you can get through it. Right. And I believe that it's good for any professional athlete to, to take a specific example of have a time to have a time of extreme doubt yep. because that's when you got to figure out how to get through it because in the future. So I go to the big leagues and now all of a sudden I go four games without a hit. You know, that didn't happen since I, you know, right. How am I going to get through that at this level? Well, I can get through it. I know I can get through it. And so times of extreme doubt and loss of self-confidence can be very, very valuable in, and uh, oh, that's if you have people that's around, cool. if, if, if you have people around that can help you, it's not easy to do on your own, Yeah, but if it's okay, that's why getting back to one of the things Nancy's doing now is coaching and, and with the Clifton strengths organization, which she speaks to it a lot better. But the point is that um, coaching is a big thing now, not only in sports, right? We hear For about sure. And, and I firmly believe everybody needs a coach, no matter what you do. I've um, been, you I've need had multiple coaches for the last couple of years yeah. and it's been the most, it's been a game changer. Yeah. And I couldn't have done it without my coaches Yeah, and teammates who at times are coaches. For sure. You know, everybody's a coach and there's people you can help right now. So, so that time of extreme doubt and wondering is, is easier if you have someone there. Yeah. Well, so, and that mental part of the game, to me, that's the differ, you know, differentiator between you look at golf. I know a lot of guys that are PGA good. Or but they're not yep. PGA good up here. Yep. That you know, you have a bad shot and you can rebound you'll bounce back from it and get back in the game. And that's I mean, the same goes for business, the same goes yeah, absolutely you, you've it's- gotta be able to just have a little grit, fight grit and know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But you also have to be able to rely on the people around you. Because if you don't have a sports system or somebody to say I mean to have somebody I mean, how many things would you have told Dale Murphy, 1982 Dale Murphy, <laughs> sitting from this right. chair, you know, with the experience right. you have now, it, it's invaluable. It, you have it to is. listen. You you got to stay humble. People say, how do you get through a slump? Stay teachable. Yep. Stay coachable. Because what we tend to do when, I think, when we tend to, when things tend to go bad, we tend to pull within ourselves. Oh, and sure. and you and and the the counterintuitive thing to do is to open up, and that's pride. Is you see, a lot of yep. things, but people can help. Now, 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 not every coach helped me the same amount, but listen, it may be helpful. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, that's why we're you know all those saying we're in this together. Reach out to people you don't know what they're going through, and you just a be kind, you know, be nice to people that could help them get through the day, all those kinds of things. Well, what was that talk? Was it president Iring that talk about, you know, treat everybody as if they're going through the hardest thing they've ever gone through. Cause they probably are. Probably are. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's, that's true. It's really it's hard really, to do, but everybody has something 
going on that's hard for them. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard to remember that and, and treat everybody kindly. But it's also the same reason we should all go to marriage counseling, everybody. Well, the thing right? is, uh, <laughs> we need like coaches. my wife Nancy says is if, if we called everybody a coach instead of a psychiatrist, right. we'd all be. Isn't that the truth? You know, it, 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 that label. it's labels, yeah. you know, but, but I don't think there's any question that everybody can use counseling and coaching. Amen. I tell people it's like an oil change. If you're married, you should be going three times a year just to you need a, to be able to go to Switzerland a, a, a great and idea. have somebody, you know, tell you, yeah, maybe you're wrong here. Because <laughs> my wife can't tell me that because I don't believe her. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And vice versa. So, <laughs> but you're right. The co- the label thing's really interesting. I haven't really yeah. thought because I'm very open about marriage counseling because I think it's such a beneficial thing for people. But it is when you call it psychiatry or counseling, it's just like, pfft, I don't need that. Yeah, the wall, but life the wall, coaching wall goes up. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I would you ever, would you ever step on a baseball field and here's your hitting coach? Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance. Yeah, right. No, it'd be like great. Watch my swing. Exactly. Yeah, that's really funny. Maybe Tiger. So. You know, uh, golfers like you know, a, a mental psych, oh, psych man. Uh, mental part of mental their game. coach. Mental coach, right. swing coach, et cetera, et cetera. Nutrition, I mean, yeah. The, the, what I found is the greatest athletes in the business, anything actually, they like, they search for accountability. Yeah. Right? Like they, they thrive for it. And so they're always looking for a coach or they're finding ways to keep them, hold themselves accountable because they know that's the only way that they're going to That's another good thing about a coach. Yeah. It's like, no, you're going to get here at three o'clock tomorrow. We're going to work on something. Yeah. You probably wouldn't have, you know, want to get to the ballpark at three o'clock in the middle of a slump mm-hmm. and go work on stuff. It's like, no, I want to sure. get away from it. Well, you know, uh, accountability, they just have a lot of coaches. And I want to stress teammates too that took the time because- but the point of that is is that I think everybody can be a coach at a, without the label as a coach. Because I'd have teammates that talk to me, you know, how you feeling, Murph? And I'll tell one example that really helped me in 1978, my first year. Uh, people always say what ball players were really influential. And Gary Matthews, Cubs fans and Phillies fans will know him more than Braves fans. He was with the Braves. He started with the Giants. He was with the Braves. He was honest. He was fun. He was flamboyant. In 1978, he was with us before he got traded to the uh, Phillies. It won the World Series with the Phillies in 83. Pete Rose, and they had a great team. But I'm a young rookie, 78. I'm sitting by the batting cage. I'm really struggling. And Gary goes, how you feeling, Murph? I'm like, eh, you know, I'm feeling okay. He goes, are you scared? I said, what? You know, I was like, I was offended. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the big leagues. Do I look scared? And that's what, exactly what I thought. He goes, because you look scared up there. You, you look worried. You wow. look scared like you don't have any confidence. And I really, it really bugged me. I mean, that's just a, a punch to the gut for someone to ask you if you're playing scared. And it was a, cha- it was, it, it was a, uh, a tipping point. And I've thanked him over the years. You know, now we've all been retired for all these years. And I saw him at an alumni thing. I go, sweet. That's what our nickname for him. I go, hey, I got to talk to you. Do you remember that time? He goes, no, I don't remember that. And I said, <laughs> you challenged me. You said I look scared. He goes, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, yes, you did. And I want to thank you for it. Because you need honest communication. You, you need someone that will 
say what they see, and I really appreciated that. But it was very challenging to take. For sure. But if he hadn't have said it, I don't know. I, I, I was like, okay, well, if, if he thinks I'm scared, at least I'm not going to look like it. And I'm like, maybe I am. Maybe I'm nervous. Especially that era. That was like the manliest era, you know, like the 80s. Well, it was, was a little, about, it was a little difficult when right? I was a kid because I'd like hit a home run. Am I going to get hit in the head the next time? Because <laughs> some pitchers were a little intimidating. That's where and the maybe no I, controversy started. That's maybe, why you didn't there you go. talk crap in the majors. Well, you didn't want to get beaned in the head. Well, no, you didn't. There was there. It was too much that way. But remember those days. I remember the days we, the, the high five was invented. Right. And I was like, can I give a player a high five <laughs> or is it too demonstrative am i going to get drilled the next time because you ran around the bases you put your head down yep. you know you came and you shook hands with your teammates and that was it right uh so when the high five was invented i was like i'm not doing that at home plate because i'm going to get drilled the next time <laughs> anyway See, we need that Kids accountability are- in sports again. That's <laughs> well, how hot y'all was. Think, I think we, yeah. Like, fight. You, 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 if you popped off and made it about you, yeah. Like, if you did an interview and it wasn't about the team, you got lit up. Like it. It's funny that you were more accountable to your, you know, counterparts than you were <laughs> from the league or fa- anything yeah. else. And you, I think that's police, a good thing. You sometimes, police yourself, right? Yeah. And a lot of times in baseball, guys would get hit, which maybe is a good time to talk about the. Tom Glavin thing, uh, <laughs> because I get asked about that a lot. On, uh, but uh, but we didn't have enough fun. I mean, yeah. it was ridiculous. You and, know, and you're it, right. It's like let guys demonstrate and be emotional. I'm people say oh, these kids have too much fun. I'm like, let, you know, let, let's just get over the old days. You know, let these kids sure. have some fun. We got to have young players see these guys having fun yeah (laughs) it's a fun right well and it's energy it's energy you know i remember we had the kafusi brothers on you know played at byu now they're both in the nfl and we were talking to bronson you know he just never quite hit his potential and then all of a sudden late in his junior year he's a linebacker for Mm -hmm. us and he just started dominating and he finally had a coach Vic soto that told him when you when you hit somebody when you attack somebody you you do whatever you want to do if you feel like jumping yeah. and screaming and putting your arms up and do it like because he was old school his dad's old school and it it made all the difference totally like him celebrating and yelling it, it, and letting it, it, all that emotion it was out him when he, when he sacked who the he player was. yes i'm not saying i would have done crazy stuff but right. we had a lot of guys that didn't do anything in the sport yep in some ways it was kind of boring back then and it See, we could use kids, that in hockey. Hockey still has that kind of old school. Yeah, the hockey very is very reserved. Very, and we need hockey, some personalities. I, I baseball right? is in serious need of some personalities. Right. And baseball never suffered with that yeah. back in the day. It's it, happening now. We got some young players, and I'll just, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of the best young players I've ever seen. And they're very exuberant, smiling, right. laughing, goofing around, have fun. Which is how it's supposed uh, to be. But I don't know. Okay, so let's talk to Tom Gladwell. <laughs> okay, so speaking of, uh, 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 I, really, it's a long story, and I'm going to go real fast because uh, speaking of policing yourself, that's kind of one of the things professional baseball. I'm not saying college and high school and all that stuff, but you police yourself. A guy gets out of line. Uh, let's say he slides in for the double play, and his spikes are too high, right? And he spikes your second baseman in the upper thigh or something. You know, around the ankles, one thing, but so then the next time the guy would get hit or something like that. You know, yep. you kind of – and he'd probably expect it. He goes, yeah, yeah I shouldn't have done that. And there was kind of always those unwritten rules. Well, 
Okay, so I'm with the Phillies. Got traded in '90. I don't think I made it back to to play in Atlanta, Atlanta in Atlanta till '91. And they had a pregame ceremony for me. It was really nice. It was really awkward. I'm with the Phillies after all those years with the Braves. The first night there, we have a fight <laughs> with the Atlanta Braves, and I'm on the Phillies. So. <laughs> Jim Fergosi was our manager. He had taken me out of the game. I was 0 for 2, and he wanted to pinch hitter. I wasn't doing very good. I was well, really kind of frustrated. You were Just for people that don't know, you were at the Braves for, what, 13 yeah. years at that point? Well, my whole, yes. I mean, and the, year and before the Braves I, weren't that great. I mean, you were you were the Braves. Like, well, so we for had, you coming back, that, that it, was it. And I'm very thankful for, right. yes. It was an exciting time, but yes, I owe everything in my career to the Braves. And... But I did at the end of my career get traded, and we don't need to go into that, but it was something I initiated, and right. a whole different story, but a lot of emotion, and so I'm 0 for 2. I don't know what happened, and, and uh, Braves are and what Braves are winning. They got a good team in 91. They went to the World Series against right. the, uh, against the, the uh, Minnesota Twins, great series. But I'm just, okay, so I'm with the Phillies. Uh, we're watching. It's about the fifth or sixth inning. One of the unwritten rules is, which really isn't getting applied to it anymore, but if your team's up too far, you stop stealing. Right. Because what you're making it is about you and your statistics, and right. we can't come back. And it's about the sixth inning, and the Braves got a six-run lead or so. I can't remember exactly. And Otis Nixon, really good base stealer, steals second, and then steals third. And Jim Fergosi. Oh. Jim, Jim, <laughs> Jim Fergosi is our manager. He's like – we're drilling him next time up. Okay, whoever's in the game, third. That's that's we're we're, wow. we're hitting notice. Okay, so I'm out of the game. I'm in the locker room. Uh, you know, that's what ha- a lot of times when you, when you get pulled out of a baseball game, you usually just go up and shower. It's right. not that big a deal. And I'm watching, you know, and Wally Ritchie comes in, who who it's from. I believe he's from the St. George area. Is he from the Provo area? But anyway, a um, friend and teammate, he comes in the game about the seventh or eighth inning, and he goes, what's up? And they're going like, well, Otis is up this inning, and, and, and Jim said hit him. So <laughs> Wally's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and uh, so Wally hits Otis, and Otis charges the mound and and comes up with a karate kick as he, as he gets to Wally. And... Jeez. And slices his stump, not slice, but you can see spike marks on Wally's rib cage. And after the fight's over, Wally's jersey's torn and everything. It was kind of the unwritten rule of fighting is you don't kick. <laughs> he keeps breaking all these rules. Yeah, he keeps, Otis, you're breaking all these rules. Okay, so game's over. We have a fight. Well, the next week we're playing the Braves and uh, in Philly. And unbeknownst to most of us, we're like, oh, maybe you know, maybe there's still some lingering issues here. But we, what we didn't know is the bullpen told Wally, if our starters don't hit Otis for what he did to you, bullpen will take care. We'll, we'll get him. <laughs> so we didn't need the bullpen for the first two games. And so we're playing a third, the third day. I think it's a Sunday game. It's on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. Uh, which campus <laughs> found it. Oh, this is the fight. This of, is the first one. The first one. I didn't know that was on YouTube. It's all, everything's on YouTube. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So it's about the seventh or eighth inning and nothing's happening with Otis for two days. And Roger McDowell, interestingly enough, who was ended up being a pitching coach 
10 years later with the Braves, very good pitching coach, comes in for the Phillies. And uh, you can see the extended replay. He almost hit Otis in the head. I mean, Otis got out of the way. I think it hit him in the shoulder. It's about seventh or eighth inning. So there's another thing, too, that you really want to get Roger. You want to get the guy that did it. You don't want to pick on some innocent guy, except if it's getaway day and you're not going to play each other anymore. (laughs) Sometimes the manager goes, we don't have a choice. We got to hit the next guy up. (laughs) So bench is clear, and the Braves come in, and Bobby Cox who saved my career, goes, we're hitting the first guy up. And Tom Glavin's pitching. He goes down and looks at the lineup card. He goes, Bobby, it's Murph. (laughs) (laughs) And Bobby, bless his heart, when you're not part of the team, you're not part of his team anymore. (laughs) He goes, I don't care who it is. We're hitting him. So, again, you can watch it on YouTube. I don't know if I'm going to get thrown at because of my relationship with the Braves and Tom Glavin, but he is asked to throw at me, and he obviously does not want to throw at me. (laughs) And you can see it. So he throws inside at the first one. It probably came in there about 65 miles an hour. (laughs) And I get in there again, and, and I look out there, and I go, I go, he's in his windup. I go, he's going to throw at me again. <laughs> and again, about 65 miles an hour. By the third time, I'm in the batter's box creeping out. And he's in his windup. <laughs> you can see it. I'm stepping out of the batter's box. So it created a very weird situation where uh, a guy that had spent all those years in Atlanta had now been asked for a young pitcher who – respected me, had to throw it, didn't want to throw at me, and it was a big mess. And he didn't hit me. He got thrown out of the game. And and that was that's what happened. <laughs> but there's more to it. Should I go with the rest yes. of the story? Yes, 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 yes. So during the offseason, Kruk, our first baseman with the Phillies, and – Leo Mazzoni, if you're a Braves fan, you'll remember Leo Mazzoni as the guy, the pitching coach in the 90s that was always nervous and always rocking back and forth. (laughs) He's a great pitching coach. He's with Kruk, and he goes, hey, Johnny, we're going to get McDowell. We're going to get what he did for what he did to Otis. He says, we're going to get McDowell. And Kruk's like, well, how are you going to get McDowell? He's a relief pitcher. So 92 (laughs) – Gosh. 92 in June, Roger McDowell gets gets traded to the Dodgers. And Crux, back then, he's looking at the box score on the training table. And I'm in the trainer's room. I was hurt most of 92. He goes, <laughs> they got him. <laughs> and I go, what happened? He goes, he told me that they were going to get him. So what happened was the Braves were out playing the Dodgers, went into extra innings. Holy Dodgers ran. Dodgers ran out of uh, – Position players had to let their pitchers hit, and Roger comes up. And they got him? Marvin Freeman out. And again, if you're a Braves fan, Marvin Freeman's about 6'8". Roger's up. Everybody knows if Roger McDowell ever hits against the Braves, ever, he's going to get drilled. Holy crap. And and uh, that's But that's how they used to police you. It used right. to be. It's not over till it's over. Wow. And Marvin Freeman drills Roger McDowell in the ribs. And Roger and, and Marvin said, <laughs> Roger went down, got back up, and took about five steps toward the mound and said, 
are we even? <laughs> and, and Marvin said, yep. He goes, okay. And went down to first base. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of the story. It's a long one, but wild. Oh, that's it's awesome. a funny story. Oh, man. Thanks for letting me share that. I, I, everybody always asks me about it, so I always have to say there's more to it. than. And they always say, why did Bobby throw at you? It's because Bobby loves his players, and he's not the the situation called for it. Yeah. Right. Did you lose respect for Bobby? I said no. I actually gained respect for Bobby because I'm not sure. a, I'm not a Atlanta Brave anymore. I'm the you know I'm the enemy. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So thank you. That's Great funny. story. See, I was I was sports. You know, hockey. It was like that with fighting, but it's kind of gone now, and it's injuries have gone up because of it. Interesting. You know, people don't don't really think about that. There's a whole documentary about it a did. lot of these guys would say, I was I would rather pay a twenty five thousand dollar fine than have that guy jump the boards and come and take care of me for doing something stupid. Yeah. And it it, it like concussions have gone way up. Really interesting. It, it it's it's a really interesting thing that self policing of sports probably makes the game safer overall. Yeah, you know, you could probably be watching a game in the 80s, 90s, 70s, and back and see a guy get hit and not even know what's going on. Right. But there there may have not been anything going on, but it may have been a purpose pitch, and he goes down to first base. No fights. It's like, yeah, I probably deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, nobody wants to get hit by a 95-mile-per-hour baseball. And I'll tell you, one, one of the problems with the DH is that pitchers don't hit. Oh, because that's right. Because if I'm getting thrown at, people say, you, you know, now what they do is if that's you're messed up, it is because it'd be like Murph. He just threw at you intentionally. What do you want us to do? I was like, don't pick on their shortstop. I want I want the pitcher to know what it feels like. Right. So if you can get, you know, you but, can't bean people and then not hit. That and should I'm, be against the rules. Yeah, and I'm not. I never talk about throwing at heads because that's dangerous. But, oh yeah. But that's if you aim smart. at the ribs. <laughs> There's a certain spot right, a, right on you know, the If you play bone. baseball, you know what I mean. You can feel it right now. Oh. When you're in Little League and you're like, that ball's going right at my ribs and you oh. can't move. <laughs> and that's the day many of us quit. Yikes. Oh, that's, see, hearing those stories is really cool because there's, there's just a lot that the press will never know about, right? And I mean, that's kind of or our reaction fan. to... Or the yeah. yeah. And so that's why... I, all these sports docs and you know podcasts and things like that well, being able to get these stories and hear the behind the scenes it's so interesting i think one of the things and baseball's doing a little bit but the more mic'd up players are yes the better i love the mic'd up I, stuff i know the the golfers got to get over it but if you want to cra- uh, get good viewership you have your caddy and you mic'd up oh i'd pay a subscription i think absolutely can you li- oh. imagine being in Augusta listening to Phil talk to his caddy about <laughs> yeah. what to hit? Well, NASCAR NAS- Formula One does it. Yeah. it's like twenty bucks a month, and you can die- you can be right in fascinating listening. It's fascinating. To These players should be way more open to right. And, you know, no one's trying to make you look bad. No one's right. gonna. But it's fascinating, and not just the mic'd up stuff that you show at halftime. I, oh, all of it. I, I, yeah, I think, and then you got to get someone you trust, you know, to censor right. some stuff out. But, but behind the scenes is is fascinating stuff. They did that with so I feed the Utah Grizzlies, the minor league hockey team out here uh-huh. in Salt Lake, quite a bit. And a couple of years ago, they were flirting with the idea of headsets at the game. Absolutely, and you can 
and the mic was on the coach. So they let me like kind of guinea pig it. It was so much fun. It was the most rated R thing I've heard in a long time. <laughs> but to hear him yelling at the refs, to hear like him talk to his players, you know, who's playing bad, who's playing good, it was fascinating to listen to. Oh, I and I mean, to have what a great way to pull people into the stadium. Like you could, you know, yeah. If you want to do this, you have to be your butt's got to be in the seats. You know, maybe that's one way to get more people to the park, but. But you're right. To be able to hear that stuff, I I always talk about, I hate how networked, how do I explain this? A lot of your announcers now, broadcasters now, whether they're affiliated with a network that doesn't let them say certain things, nobody says anything controversial anymore. You know, I would love to hear a broadcaster like, you know, Vince Scully comes to mind, right? Mm -hmm. That is a Dodger guy through and through. I would love to hear him say like, gosh, I hate that pitcher on the other team <laughs> what a piece of crap like i want to hear a, uh, he's on my team and i want to yeah. hear how he feels and i always joke like i would pay i would pay monthly to have a subscription to somebody that broadcast the game and just was able to say whatever they want yeah. to say yeah it'd be it'd be amazing it would be amazing and i feel be. like we're missing out on that stuff so the mic'd up thing is along those same lines yeah to be able to hear that interact especially golf because there's no team element right you're not yeah. hearing any secrets or anything that you know the other yeah. team could pick up on it would just be maybe, i mean we saw know, it with the tiger or uh tiger and phil with yeah. tom brady yeah, and those, peyton manning those that are was interesting so cool. but they're also just kind of fun right so but it is kind of interesting yeah peyton manning was met- drunk and <laughs> saying all sorts of funny stuff i actually thought i watched that and i actually thought there was going to be more trash talk me too because when brady was going south <laughs> yeah. i was i was surprised and he split his pants yeah i was surprised that they weren't burying him because that's what I kind of tuned in for. Especially Phil. Phil is the king of Right, yeah. right. Like, I, yeah, I wanted to hear. All he did was try to teach everybody how to golf. It was yeah, yeah. annoying. But. Yeah, if he hits one in the woods, I want to, I want you to bury Brady. Exactly. Because <laughs> you hear he's the trash talker of all trash talkers. Yeah. And that's that's what we want to hear. So. No, that's so you're right. But it is scary because now if you say the wrong thing. Yeah. Which is why it's not going to happen. Uh, right. Yeah. You say the wrong thing and you you're just toast. Pick your spots. Maybe, you know, the fifth inning. You know, right. Snitker, the manager of the Braves, tune in to channel whatever if you want to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, right. everybody in the fifth inning, and he he he's, he knows, but it'd be it'd be interesting, and maybe right. maybe golfers could say golfers could say yeah on the fifth and eighth hole. That's all. We're not going to go on the last nine on Sunday. Right. But it would be fascinating to see what these what goes through these guys' mind. It it it, it would be so opening. You know, I look at uh, what do we got here? One seventy. Give me a five iron. I don't know what I hit one seventy, <laughs> but these guys are looking. They're so it's fascinating. They're looking at the wind. They're looking at their right. lie. They're looking at the pin placement. It's fascinating. Well, and how many times are they going to look in their little book? That little book. What's it say in that book? I want one of those. <laughs> I want to know what that book says. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Yeah. I mean, That's even what, putting I pl- that online after I was playing cool. golf, yeah. and you know how they got the yardage on the sprinkler heads, right? Yeah. So I'm in a scramble. And I'm thinking, okay, I can't, I can't tell how far the green is. Like, I, I see a sprinkler head. You know, I'm thinking, okay, it's going to say 210. It says, just hit it. <laughs> <laughs> Did it really? On the, on the sprinkler head. <laughs> so just hit That's it. really funny. <laughs> it is funny how the yardage thing is not a lot. We're so inconsistent. You know, oh, most yeah. just recreational know I, golfers, it's like, oh, yeah, I can hit that 150. Yeah. 
and you just shank it into the wood. So that's really funny. Just hit it. They should do little hidden messages on sprinkler heads like that more often. It was really relaxing. Cheer us up. Yeah. Laughing. I was like, okay, I can't. In other words, you can't reach the screen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you thinking? So, Dell, what are you up to now? You got a lot of really yeah. cool stuff you're working on. Oh, well, you know, as we mentioned before, we got Murphs. We're part owners of a, a great little restaurant near the ballpark in Atlanta. How did that come about? Yeah, just, just in a nutshell. I, I got I was, to meet um, a, a guy, uh, one of my partners, Matt Helms, is also involved, real involved in sports memorabilia. Right. And uh, we were talking and struck up a friendship. I did a few things for him. And the Braves were moving the ballpark north to Cobb County. And I said, hey, if you're, you know, you're, I knew that he had been involved in a couple restaurants. Um, and I said, would you ever want a partner and maybe look around the ballpark in Atlanta? And he said, yeah, and I know who we're going to bring in. And my other partner's Chuck Douglas. And so we've been there three years and have had a great time by the ballpark, reconnecting with Braves fans. I got some of my memorabilia and stuff like that there. And Chuck put together a great menu. We got great burgers. We have fried cheese curds in Atlanta. <laughs> which because matt my other my first partner is uh is from wisconsin he goes right. we're gonna serve fried cheese curds i'm gonna no one is even gonna know what a fried cheese curd is he says yeah wait till they start them so that's one of our signature things uh and and then covid hit so chuck is trying to keep us going i so i got that i love to speak i was doing a lot of speaking um, you know, if people want to reach me, I'm at dalemurphy.com. You can email me there. All my socials are, you know, I'm out on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. You're fun to follow on Twitter. Well, You're I pretty I, active on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter's a weird thing. It is a weird place. It's a scary place. Your yeah. best to just post and then yeah. leave. No, and I've learned. <laughs> right? I, I, I have posted political stuff. Post and leave. And political stuff. Twitter is not probably the best place to no. have a good rational it, debate about anything right. political. I don't think anything rational happens on Twitter. <laughs> so Instagram's fun and, and LinkedIn is really a, a place that it's really kept their platform business oriented so i'm on there and uh and so i like to speak that's one thing i really like to do now that that i haven't done a lot obviously in person the last few months but enjoy doing zoom uh, drop in on zoom meetings uh, it's it's a lot of fun so i can do some business type sharing my stories on resilience if you want to reach out to me and those are kind of the things i'm i'm doing i still you know occasionally do some signings which at first was kind of weird for me uh but especially in-person signings with people is really an enjoyable thing because we have quite a memorabilia collection culture in our country right. that's a lot of fun to participate in. And, For sure. And with uh, fake signatures out there, people love the interaction. So yeah. I, that that hasn't happened a lot the last few months. Well, you were always kind of known for that too, yeah, sticking around and signing autographs and just well, being really accessible I have, to I fans. Have to, some of that got a little exaggerated. Really? <laughs> well, yeah. I remember Dale Murphy signed for three hours after the game. I was, well, I, I tried to – I'll tell you what I tried to be, which I think players need to, to realize is you can't sign every autograph, but sign some. Right. And then when you have to go, be a little respectful and understand and, like, you know, kind of apologize. And I, 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 I tried to sign when I could, uh, but a lot of it was at the ballpark, so you, you really had to go do some right. things. But I appreciate that. I I tried to understand that, and I guess what I'm saying now, this older age, it's really fun to reconnect with fans. And cool. when you're doing your experience thing too, yeah, right? that's, that's the other thing. Thank I wanted you to ask for about. bringing that up. 
Um, again, going to dalemurphy.com, we have a, what we've called, we've had such a blast Speaking of reconnecting with fans where we have an MVP experience, I think we have five scheduled for next year. Uh, in Atlanta, we have lunch at Murph's. We have uh, a pregame kind of meeting, and uh, I speak to the fans, and we have a, uh, a number of things we do between the game and uh, eating at Murph's, uh, usually a tour of the ballpark. And, and I accompany – you know, I. it's just a fun – it's been a – a great experience. And then we go to the ball game. And a lot of time we'll go, at, if people are familiar with Truist Park, out in the Home Depot clubhouse, which is a great spot. We have the whole clubhouse to ourselves. We watch the game, have drawings during the game, pictures, autographs, a lot of fun. Yes, the MVP experiences are up on our website. That's scheduled cool. for next year. Very and so, cool. you know, Nancy, uh, now being a grandpa, we're just, we're just busy. I, I try to just keep doing things and, and, uh, would love to open another restaurant. Is that is that crazy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Oh, I've learned so much. I get that question I, a lot. Would you want to do it out here or back in Atlanta? People have talked about it, but you know, I understand now. It's just I understand how hard work it is. And yeah, I would love to have a presence out here. Base baseball. Portland, Oregon is trying to get a baseball team. I'm part of that. A oh, group, that'd be cool. and and I think Portland would be fantastic. And people say you're going to bring a Murphs out there, and I, I've already talked to him. I said, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh, so that's the thing is is really now between that and our grandkids, we're Nancy and I are trying to stay busy, and I it's been a really weird couple months now. So hopefully we can get through this thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. Oh, it's been fun. I. I talked a lot. I apologize. <laughs> no, this is the awesome. older, it's funny. I'm like I, fighting to ask you more questions. The, the older <laughs> I get, uh, I just, I don't know. I never would have talked about this long 30 years ago. So <laughs> thanks for having me on. It's always, I love reminiscing now. It it's really so is. Cool. The older you get, the more, you know, the older you get, the better you were. Stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, and I, I love, I just, I enjoy it more than when I was a kid. So thanks for letting me be a part of, of the, the nitty gritty and, and congratulations. Thanks for letting me be on. It's fun. Awesome. Thank, thank you. Wait, I gotta, can I just ask one more question? You're going to ruin everything. This is why I'm asking now. <laughs> I wanted kidding. to I'm wait till we had an ending just in case he doesn't want to answer this. Okay. So we have a clean ending. I really want your opinion on Pete Rose. Oh, yeah. So I've, I just watched a documentary about it. Which, and, you know, with, with your Hall of Fame stuff yeah. and being absolutely screwed, by the way. Oh, well, um, thank you. I was watching, there was a documentary just the other day. Oh, darn it. What's it called? It was on ESPN. Was it Was it a 30 for 30 on it, Pete? Or? It's not 30 for 30. It's newer. Oh, they just newer. They just, it just I'll came out. check it out. It came out post-sport. So now that Major League is like partnered with all the sports well, betting, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, okay, now he's going to get in, right? Yeah. And it. Anyway, I just wondered if well, you had I've, an opinion I've about said, it. Well, I've said I'm not in favor of lifetime bans. Yeah. I'm in favor of... Okay, so the rule is you can't bet on the game that you're that you're that you're part of the industry. You can't bet right. on baseball, and you it's posted in every right. uh, clubhouse. And you can't bet on a game you're participating in, et cetera, et cetera. And he was manager. doesn't Doesn't matter what he did was wrong, and he should be severely punished for, for sure. Twenty five, thirty years. That's a pretty healthy. Oh yeah, healthy punishment lifetime. 
I'm not sure if 25 or 30 years just doesn't accomplish the same thing as lifetime. Right. I, I get what you want to do. You want to scare people into thinking that you're, you will be done forever, but 25 to 30 years is pretty much done forever. So I think, I think it, it shouldn't be lifetime. I think he should go into the hall of fame, but I am in the minority on that. There, there. I've it's really heard, interesting. I, 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 you know, uh, I think he served his punishment. I agree. Is what I'm saying. I agree. Um, Especially with the sports betting thing. I mean, now well, yeah, it, the ma- Major League Baseball is actually partnered with DraftKings, so they are advertising and it, well, gambling in baseball you know, will become more. It, it's still happening. It's not like football, right? But with the Supreme Court saying every state now, besides, you know, it's a matter of time, and I'm. I understand it and I get it, but I'm a little worried about in the venue betting, which is what they're talking about. It's crazy that, you know, you make an error in the seventh inning and you cost 10,000 of those people. Who knows how much money? I mean, well, fantasy football is even that way. You know, Taysom said that it's scary because yeah, you'll have people come up and be actually pissed off at you because you cost them a fantasy game. Absolutely. So imagine betting now in the, in the, in the stadium, yeah, in real time, I, in real time. Uh, it, so even what Yikes. what uh, what he's talking about is is a little separated. Right. It's still an issue, but right. now you're talking about bringing it in the stadiums. I'm just not so sure. Now we we all know sports is bet on, and I I get the ruling. It shouldn't. You know, I'm I'm, I'm I don't have a problem with. It. I get that, but right. so anyway, that does bring up the Pete Rose situation. What he did was. People said, well, he did it as a manager. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It ruins the integrity of a manager's decision when he's got money on the game. For it, sure. It was wrong what he did. For sure. And he lied about it. And he lied. Like, he, he hasn't. Bold-faced lied about it. He hasn't helped his. Until he wanted to sell his books. So, I mean, yeah, I get it. No, was, he's had a lot of problems with right. being reinstated. That's his own issue. Right. But if all things being equal, and he probably would have. It, it's. I would say if it happens again, then in 25 years, we should let the guy back in. I don't know. I mean, it's it's not that cut and dried. I, right. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you answering the question because <laughs> it is. It's You watch that documentary. Like it, well, right now, crazy that, think about it. We got arguably the best pitcher, Roger Clemens. Yeah. Arguably the best power hitter, Barry Bonds, right. which there is an argument about it, and the best singles hitter. In the history of the game, none of them are in the Hall of Fame. Who's the single setter? Well, Pete. Oh, Pete. What, right. Yeah. Oh man. He, he leads. He leads the majors in uh, base hits. Right. Four thousand. Jeez. <laughs> Forty-one ninety-two. And none of them. But are there. but Barry and Rogers are steroid issues. But it looks like that things are softening up there. But it's kind See, of and an that's the thing. I would interesting think dilemma. The gambling on your own game would be forgiven before the performance Stero- enhancing. Well, there's right. <laughs> that's a. And that's it, and it's weird. It's, it's it's it really messed up a lot of things with the game, integrity of records, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah, I, you could go down the line. Do you think the steroid thing hurt you for the Hall of Fame, just because your numbers, which were just awesome, well, seem a little smaller now? Yeah, that that possibly, possibly. But my numbers are are. Um, debatable anyway. I'm not trying to be negative no about it. Well, thank you. I wish you no had a vote. Way. I wish you had a vote, but you know, <laughs> so there, there are some it's things so there are some things unrelated to that issue, but right. I, I'm saying I would say I don't think it's helped me. Right. Because my numbers do look I mean, you know, a lot of people ended up hitting over 500 home runs and right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Crazy. yeah, so it doesn't it, it hasn't helped me, but but um, 
anyway, yeah. Well, uh, thanks for thanks for answering those. That's, yeah, that's really cool. I, I just really wanted your opinion on it because it's always cool to hear from somebody that's in the in, game, and you know, just wondering if your perspective is well let's off just, or not. Pete's is a lifetime ban. Is he going in after he dies? I Which mean, he could now, right? I, I, I mean, don't know. That, I don't know how that works. I mean, I mean there are who, who who's is the other shoeless it? Joe uh, Jackson? Shoeless Joe the other one. never went in, right? And, and so, uh, man, he was truthful about the whole thing. You know, yeah, he had, he, yeah. he didn't throw it. He had the stats to back up that he didn't throw, yeah. but he took the money. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you can't telling the truth didn't help him either. So it's kind of like. Can't really I mean, we, blame we, Pete Rose for lying. About I definitely it. get the rule. We can't have the integrity of what people are seeing for sure in doubt. That's why the NBA refing situation. Was yeah. Like, oh my! You got to be kidding me. For that, sure. That was brutal. And uh, any sport that people are questioning the integrity of what they're seeing, if it's a real good competition, a fair competition, that's that's problematic. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, it'll be a it'll be a slippery slope, I think, with the sports betting. So hopefully, they can figure yeah, it out. It'll be fascinating to watch because baseball. If you think about betting, I I don't know that there's a better sport as far as real time betting. Oh, you could bet on because <laughs> all the pitching, all the hitting, all the. I mean, you there's some. What's you the odds of me throwing a ball or something? Oh, I'm exactly right. Yeah. How many strikeouts this inning? Go. Double, double triple. Anyway. It's going to be interesting. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you, guys. Man. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you.